What I want to talk about this morning is really how we um, navigate things like mystery, disappointment, uh, times when God doesn't do exactly what we thought he was going to do, and how we navigate that in faith expectation. If we were building a church where we just came in and sang three songs, and then we just had a nice, um, uplifting preach, and then we had a cup of coffee, and then we said, last one out, switch the lights off, and our only expectation was to pay the electricity bill, then it's very hard to be disappointed when that's your level of expectation. If your level of expectation is just going to sing three songs, hear a nice bit of Bible, not necessarily going to believe any of it, but we're going to hear some nice Bible, and then go home. How many of you know you're going to hit that target every week? You're never going to fail to hit it. You're always going to be absolutely satisfied. But when you begin to line up with the expectation of the kingdom that says Jesus is Lord and Jesus is able to heal every sickness, and that Jesus is able to release every resource to us, everything we need for breakthrough, and not only are we just going to be a congregation that loves one another, but we're going to love the community and we're going to transform the whole world, how many of you know that then you've raised the bar pretty high and you're going to have to navigate that because sometimes there is mystery and sometimes our expectations don't happen the way we want them to happen. And I want to read you a story from the book of Daniel because I think this story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego demonstrates how perfectly to navigate the tension of huge expectation in the capacity and the ability of God to deliver and break through and navigating that through mystery when actually God doesn't necessarily do what maybe they would have wanted him to do. And so in this context... Um, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has introduced a rule that says if you don't bow down to the gold idol, you are going to be thrown into a furnace. It comes to the attention of some of the uh, king's um, workers that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego have decided they will not worship a golden idol, they will only worship God, the king, the creator. It then they're then summoned to the king, and the king is, he wants to know, why are they not willing to bow down? And so it says in verse 13 of chapter 3, furious with rage. So he's heard that they're not bowing down. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. A friend of mine preached on this, and he said, he said, it's my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. So, uh, <laughs> I still remember that preach from 20 years ago. I don't remember an, a word that Rob Clark spoke about on this two-week series, but I know he said, my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. <laughs> so, I've been stuck with that in my head for 20 years. Now, now you can have that in your head for the next 20 years. Furious. <laughs> So he summoned the men. They were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, <laughs> that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, 
the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipe, all kinds of music. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nezuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from the majesties, from your majesty's hand. But if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. So what we have here is these three men are being impacted by a king who wants to control them and overpower them and dominate them with fear. He says, you must yield to what I say about your future, otherwise you will be thrown into the furnace. And fear always wants to come as a ruler and it always wants to demand that you believe and that you yield and that you surrender to what fear will say about your future. That's how fear works. And that's the, the power that Nebuchadnezzar is using here over these three men. He's seeking to control them and he's seeking to dominate them through telling them what their future will be. He attempts to make them change their mind. And this incident that we've just read is a wonderful illustration of what happens when two kingdoms clash. When the kingdom of darkness clashes with the kingdom of God that where perfect love casts out all fear. It's a wonderful illustration of when fear, control, dominance comes face to face with a kingdom of love where love is more powerful than fear and love chases away fear. It's a wonderful illustration of that. And so fear is a spiritual force. Fear is a spiritual force and its power is to manipulate and to dominate. And fear works to steal, kill and destroy. That fear will come and say, I can take away from you what you love most. I can touch where you get your identity and I can take that away from you. Fear works when it can dominate and it it conjures up images in our mind that this threat... This fear can actually touch my identity. It can actually kill, steal and destroy. And fear is most powerful in our lives when we believe that we are the provider and we are the protector and we are the one who gives ourselves our identity. When we believe the lie that I have to look after myself, that I have to provide for myself and that I have to protect myself then fear is set up with power to control, to steal and destroy. Romans 6 says, we become slaves of whatever we choose to obey. That if we choose to obey God and righteousness, we become ruled, we become slaves to love, we become slaves of freedom. But these guys 
have a totally different reaction when fear comes and says, we can take away your very life. They say, we do not defend ourselves in this matter. We do not need to defend ourselves in this matter. It says in chapter 3 of verse 16, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. The God we serve is able to deliver us from your threat. Verse 17. In other words, when faced with the threat that their very lives could be stolen from them, their response is to Nebuchadnezzar, what you say to me means absolutely nothing to me. It means absolutely nothing to us. Nothing's going to change. You're talking to the hand. <laughs> Talk to, speak to the hand. I am not even moved at all by your threat. So this earth this, because wonderfully in this country, at this moment... We are not going to find tomorrow someone come up to us and say, if you, if you don't worship this, you'll be thrown into a furnace. But all of us are going to hear news. All of us are. We're all going to hear news. We're going to hear news, rumours in our workplace about the company maybe we work for. Whispers. Oh, there's people becoming redundant or they're changing the terms and conditions, or they're streamlining. We hear rumours on the news. We hear rumours that can conjure up images of fear about our future when, when the news uses words like recession. We, we can hear, we can hear rumours, or we get news reports that not just rumours, but that are desperately real when we go to the doctors and we have a diagnosis. We can hear, we can hear reports about, maybe it's about our housing situation, the, the, the landlord comes and says, I want to sell your house. You have four months to find a new place. It's not a rumour, it's a, I'm faced with a report, I'm faced with news that's now painting a fear-based picture of my future. Many of us have, have, have been to visas and we've prayed a lot for visas here and you get reports about your visa. You're being, you're being told, no, it, it can't happen, you can't stay, this is not going to work out. And in these moments... Like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they're face to face with a report. <coughs> if they're face to face with an ultimatum. They're face to face with a decision. You either worship me and my gold idol, or you're thrown into the furnace. So in our everyday life, when we hear news, reports, rumours, we're faced with an opportunity. Will we, in this moment, worship God, or will fear tell us about our future so we become overwhelmed with fear and anxiety and dread? 
So fear tells us a story. Fear is looking for a response. Fear, disappointment, wants to overwhelm us and control us and dominate us and lead us. And when we hear news, we're, we're in this moment where we're deciding which spiritual force is going to rule my heart. Is it going to be fear or is it going to be love? Am I going to become overwhelmed with anxiety or am I going to become overwhelmed with fear? So this is the first thing of when we're navigating mystery we're making a, and when we're navigating maybe disappointment, we're choosing who we're going to worship in that moment. Because though it's not a life and death thing, though it's not a gold idol thing, something is asking us to bow down to it. Something is. Fear is faith in the wrong kingdom. That's why perfect love casts out all fear. Because there's no fear in love. Because fear has to, be, has to do with punishment. And those who fear have not been made perfect in love. But perfect love casts out all fear because there's no fear in heaven. There's no fear in heaven. So when heaven touches earth, it doesn't touch earth with fear. Fear is another kingdom. And it wants us to bow down to it. It wants to dominate. It wants to control. Maturity is doing the right thing when I don't want to do it. That's what character is. That's what maturity is. It's, I'm going to do the right thing even when I don't want to. And so you can probably think this report's coming. We're like, these guys, we've heard the report and fear is saying, bow down. Doing the right thing is, in this moment, I'm bringing a sacrifice of praise. In this moment, I'm not bowed down. I'm not yielding. I'm not surrendering. I'm not serving this spiritual force called fear. I'm not yielding to this threat. I'm not yielding to this control. I'm not yielding to this intimidation. I'm going to bow down to God. And I'm going to yield. And I'm going to surrender. And I'm going to bring a sacrifice of praise. I'm going to be singing some songs. I'm going to be rejoicing. I don't feel like it. It's the last thing I want to do. What I feel like doing is worrying out loud and telling you, God, every fear-based speculation I have about my future. But what I'm going to do is in this moment, I'm not going to yield to fear. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to put my whole weight on your willingness. This is what they said. We don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Wow. I just think that's amazing. In your heart, you can hear news at work. And other people are saying, and I'm not saying it's not wrong to defend yourselves and talk to managers and stuff, but it's about what's going on in the, in the heart. I'm talking about the, the culture of your heart, the, the world of your heart. That you hear a rumour and you think, I don't even need to defend myself in this matter. I'm not going to get myself all stirred, uptight, anxious and troubled. I'm, I'm going to rest in God. Because if we are even, if I'm thrown into the blazing furnace, God will, the God I serve is able to deliver me from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. It's the expectation, he is able, 
He is able to provide. He is able to get me a job. He is able to get me a house. He is able to heal my body. He is able to make a way. He is able to bring peace in that relationship in my family. He is able, he is able, he is able to open that door. He is able. And so my my heart is, there's a culture of our heart that's learning to rest and yield to peace and yield to love. So we're looking at these guys and we want to be like them, that we confidently put our whole weight on his ability and his willingness. Now this is a journey where we need one another, and this is a journey, in the weeks to come we're going to be looking at things like vulnerability, authenticity, how perfect love breaks shame. And this is where we honestly need a journey with one another, because some of us are going to be more along in the journey, and we're going to be more able to respond like these people. We've had a few battles under our belts, we've seen God provide, we've seen God heal, we've seen God make a way. We've seen God bring provision. We've seen him open doors. And so we've got these stories, this bank account full of the faithfulness of God. You might be a new believer and you've got no stories yet. And so you need to walk with other believers on a journey of faith where you grow in maturity. Where you can be honestly real and say, do you know what? I've just heard this rumour, this circumstance and this news and it's freaking me out. And I know I want to worship, and I I know I want to bring a sacrifice of praise, and I know I want to be like these guys in Daniel, but right now, honestly, I'm overwhelmed with trouble. And it's being honest, and you know your destination, you want to get to the place where you trust that God provides, that God protects, and that God looks after you. But you're on this journey, and we want to be a community that's not scared of just honest, raw I'm overwhelmed with anxiety right now, but I want to get to the place of, of faith. See, that's the difference between really just being sympathetic with one another. Oh, there they are, I'm so sorry for you. Because sympathy doesn't really help in those moments. You want, you want rock-solid people who will help you journey to belief and help you journey to faith and help you journey to trust so that our destination can be we trust the perfect love of a good father who will protect and provide for me. And so there's some keys here. The first one is, is the expectation that he can provide, that he can bring a solution, that he can heal, that he can make a way, that he can make a way where there is no way. Our God is able. He's able, he's willing, he's faithful, he loves us. He is able to deliver us from it. So you're, you're expecting a breakthrough. But also we look in this and they're able to look at it. It's not denial. And he says, but even if he does not, even if he doesn't do what we expect and hope for him to do, we want you to know, your majesty, will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up, he says in verse 18. We expect him to break through. We expect him to deliver. We're looking for the miraculous. That's our, 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 our hope. We're expecting heaven to invade earth. But even if he doesn't on this issue, nothing's changing. Nothing's changing. Because my worship is not dependent on him doing this. My worship is dependent on his worthy. Nothing's changing, Nebuchadnezzar. So even if this redundancy thing happens... I can look at it, because fear is not going to be my master. I can look at it and say, even if nothing's changing, I'm worshipping God. 
faith, trust and confidence can look squarely at the fret. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, even if it doesn't happen, even if it does happen, it won't make a bit of difference. This is absolute freedom from absolute... Any enemy area cannot control us if we're even able to look at it and say, even if you don't provide, God, and even if the threat of it being taken away did happen, my heart is yours. That is absolute freedom. That's what we're after. That we can look at something and say, you know what? Even if the enemy stole or killed and destroyed that, I've got life somewhere else and it cannot take away my joy and my hope. Amen. Tim Keller talks a lot about a guy who leads a church in New York about functional saviours. So we can say that Jesus is Lord and He's the Lord of my life and I love him. But our real saviour might be our job, might be our children, and might be our marriage. Or might be our ministry, or might be our hobby, or might be our money. And so we say, yeah, I love you Jesus, but if anything touches our real saviour, we freak out, get anxious and get overwhelmed. Because our real saviour is there. These guys are saying, look, you can't even touch us because even if you touch our lives, he's our real saviour. That's freedom. Absolute freedom is where you can face things. Where there isn't denial. Another thing we'll be looking at over the next thing, over a few weeks in the new series, is how we use numbing to take away pain. How we can have bad news... And instead of worshipping, we, we eat or drink. Mm. Mm. I heard someone say to me recently who had, who'd, who'd gone on a diet saying, I don't know what to do now when I face pain because I used to eat to overcome pain. Mm. I'm going to have to dig deeper wells into God. Mm. So, so these guys are able to face things in absolute freedom even if this furnace happens, I can look at it. Can you see that we, when we're making declarations, we, we are expecting God to provide, honestly. We are expecting provision. We're expecting breakthrough. We're expecting everything we need to reach the nations. We're expecting every Sunday for sicknesses to bow at the name of Jesus. Yes. We're expecting the kingdom of God to come. Yes. We're, we're expecting that if the kingdom is going from glory to glory and strength to strength, that we're expecting to, to see more than other generations saw. Do you remember, if you ever heard of the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles in, in 1920, at the end of the meeting they would have to go around and sweep up tumours that had dropped off in the glory of God. The presence of God was so strong that the fire brigade would often come at night because there was a glory of fire above the Azusa Street meeting. And then they'd have to go and sweep up tumours. We're expecting blind eyes to open. We're expecting the deaf to hear. We're expecting the lame to walk. We're expecting these things. 
Confidence in God is the birthplace of expectation and courage. He is able to deliver us from it, they said. And so we're expecting all these things. So that's our expectation. It's more than singing free songs. It's more than some nice words. It's more than last one out, switch the lights, and let's pay the electricity bill. That's where our expectation is heaven to touch earth. But at the same time, this is the tension that we've got to be able to walk along. God doesn't serve me and he doesn't serve you. He is not the butler of heaven and we ring the bell and tell him what to do, when to do and how to do it. And if he doesn't do it the way we would want, we tell him we would make a better God than you. And if you're not going to do it my way, I'll apply for the job as God and I'll do it for you. So, to quote Greece, you better shape up. He doesn't serve us. And this is where the tension comes. This is where we have to navigate this really... And this is where mystery is. And this is now the birth... This is the birthplace of disappointments in this space right here. I'm expecting that he can. I'm expecting that he will. That his will is to always heal. But then I have to navigate mystery of why it didn't happen without being offended at God and telling him I would be a better God than him. Because if we don't navigate this well, this is the place where you can shipwreck your faith. Because cynicism comes in, discouragement comes in, disappointment comes in, despair comes in, accusing God comes in, rejecting God comes in. So this is a really precious space that we have to be able to navigate. Because they say in verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know. And so, sometimes the way people navigate this is they dial down all expectation. So they say the safest place in the world is have no prophetic. Don't have any prophetic, because if you have prophetic, people might get disappointed if God speaks and it doesn't happen. Don't have any expectation for healing, because what if he doesn't? Don't have any expectation for financial breakthrough, because that's scary and dangerous, because what if he, if some get it and some don't? So, so some go down the, the, rail, the, down the line of, have no expectation for anything, you'll never be disappointed. Others go, well, it's, the reason it didn't happen is because of your lack of faith. Yeah. You didn't believe. So you need to be more sanctified, more holy, and you need to try harder. So on one hand is, have nothing, no expectation. On the other hand, well, it's all you. You're just not serious enough about God. And then it holds up someone else who gets the breakthrough and says, the reason they got the breakthrough is because they're more holy, pious, and sanctified than you. These guys don't go either of those. They say, he is able. And even if he doesn't, we won't worship you. So the the, the healthy line is, I have great expectation without entitlement. Yeah, come on. So, I... 
this, this is the way we navigate it. I navigate mystery. I don't need all the answers. I don't need to understand everything. I can be like a little child who just believes in a really good father. And I will worship him. And I'm totally free because even if he doesn't, nothing changes. I am not a slave of the fear of loss. So sometimes we put all our eggs in one basket and we say, I know that he loves me if he'll give me a baby. I know that he loves me if he'll give me a husband or a wife. I know that he loves me if this ministry will work the way I hope. I know that he loves me if he heals me. Then I'll know that he loves me if he provides financially for me. All eggs is in one basket. And if in any way he disappoints, people say, well, he doesn't love me. Whereas the ultimate expression of the love of God, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. That is the pinnacle of expressiveness of love, that he would come incarnate, God becomes flesh, to rescue humanity who are his enemies and to deal with the most fundamental sickness that we've got, which, are, which is the sin of our hearts that led to separation and rebellion to God. I know that he loves me because when Jesus was in Gethsemane and when he was asking, is there another way than facing the furnace of the cross? Is there another way? When he asked the question in agony, is there another way? He said, not my will be done, but yours, and went to the cross. That's how I know he loves me. It's got nothing to do with whether or not he meets this, this specific need, although I expect and hope and look and long that he would. Now to conclude then, Nebuchadnezzar is none too happy about this. Then Nebuchadnezzar, it says in verse 9, was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. I guess at the beginning he's kind of using nice, gentle language. Now he is absolutely furious. He ordered that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them in the fire furnace. This is, as Graham Cook says, how you can out... And you can make the enemy exhausted and frustrate him. Because sometimes we think it's about rawing at the heavens, I bind you, I loose you. Sometimes just saying, I'm not going to worship you, I'm worshipping God, absolutely makes the enemy furious and frustrated. Because suddenly he realises he's got nothing on these men. They don't even care about my worst threat. I can't control them. I've got no power over them. I can't do anything with them. I am absolutely livid and frustrated. Because I thought if I came and told them about the furnace, they would be bowing and worshipping as soon as I heard the music. But they won't even do that. So he's absolutely furious. He's so angry and so frustrated, he gets the furnace heated up even more. Submission and yielding to God and worship is spiritual warfare. It's the greatest spiritual warfare there is. Well, you even think, I don't even care what you say about the worst thing you want to do. I I love God. They reject the baited hook. And that's what the enemy does. He holds a hook. He's like a a fisherman. Because his only power over the believer is really temptation. So he holds a hook 
and says, let's reason together. I want to talk to you about your future. And I want to talk to you about fear. And I want to talk to you about a way out of it. And I'll look after you. Just bow down to me. But when you reject the baited hook, you find that actually he is a toothless lion. And all of his apparent power was a complete illusion. It was just a smokescreen of fear. That it had no substance to it. It was the idea that he could control you, but not in reality. And so it goes on to say, Then King Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 24, so they've been thrown into the furnace. Then in verse 24, Then Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? He replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Some people say it could be an angel. Some commentators say it could actually be Jesus Christ himself walking around in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects and governors and the rural advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched. And there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and they defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Let's finish with this. Not everything in our life is good. Not everything is going the way we longed for. Not everything lines up with the prophetic promises we hoped for. There is delay, there can be disappointment, there is timing in God. Some promises, I'm beginning to see the breakthrough on them, but I've lived with with one particular one that is just opening up right now is five years. Another one that's just opening up is six years. Another one is 20-something years. There is delay. There can be disappointment. Not everything looks the way that we want it to look. There can be opposition. But everything works together for good. That's the promise. Everything works together for good. The worst case scenario will be, according to the promises of Scripture, an invitation to an encounter. So we live in this world where evil impacts us, we live in a fallen world where there's sickness and disease, and sometimes it touches us, we live in a world where, 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 where not every landlord is godly, where there's exploitation, where bosses can be evil, but God promises in every single thing to work it together to good, to redeem it, to bring something glorious out of it, to bring something that's going to be an encounter with him. And so our first prayer is, God You are able. Even if you don't, we worship you. And now, even if you don't, and I find myself facing the very thing that terrified me or or sought to terrify me, this will be a place of encounter with God. This will be a place where I walk around with Jesus. This will be a place 
where, 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 where it works together for good. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, because you know that you're testing of your faith. It, it brings us to a place of perfection where we, where we lack nothing. And so this is the thing for the believer we can't lose. Amen. On every single angle, we cannot lose. So they were saying, I wanted to be delivered, but I will be faithful in the midst of disappointment. I will count this trial as pure joy. I will meet Jesus here. This will be the place of advance. This will be the place of upgrade. This will be the place of maturity. This will be the place of growth. It will be. He will ensure it will be. And I will keep my heart tender that I don't miss him in the furnace. And I don't miss him walking around in the furnace. Yeah. And so they walked around unbound, not bitter, not even smelling of smoke. And I just want to finish by saying that when we as believers go through things, we can go through them in a way that's not like the people around us. Other people can go into it and in the end smell of bitterness and rage and frustration and anger. They can, they can be smelling of, I'm rejected, a victim. But we can walk through things knowing the peace and the love and the hope of God. I personally keep a journal called Upgrades. I have now got 478 upgrades since 2014. They are prophetic words, prophetic promises, things that jump out, but they're also upgrades any time I hit a circumstance that's disappointing and, and frustrating. I want to know, what's my upgrade in this? Amen. What are you going to do in me through this? What are you going to reveal about yourself to me in this? What are you going to, how can I walk around with you, as it were, unbound in the furnace, in the fire? I'm going to invite us to stand. He's going to pray for us as we finish.